Hey y'all, Illidan here with a quick message. We realized episodes 1 through 12 had some rough audio and tech issues, and I tried to edit it all out, but it didn't quite meet our standards. So what we're going to do is we're going to be re-recording some of the topics in later episodes that inevitably will have more ideas and different content still pertinent to the original topic. So as you listen to these older episodes, we humbly ask for your patience as we press on and strive to bring you better content each week. If you'd like to continue hearing uh, the original episode, keep listening. If not, look for the topic name in our episode list in our new episodes, where we've learned to fix some of those issues. We hope you enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, theys and thems, goblins and paladins all. This is the fourth episode where we, the story weavers, help you as players and dungeon masters, new, old, and aspiring with questions and ideas for your next tabletop role-playing game. Welcome to This Dungeon is Occupied podcast. I am one of your hosts, Illidine, and as always, I'm here with Thorn. Hello. And tonight we're joined once again with Robbie, who was with us on episode two. Robbie, thanks for coming. Oh, hello. Hi, everyone. Uh, the topic of this episode is homebrew, items, races, classes, and all other things not officially sanctioned by the powers that be. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of go through um, what you guys, uh, Thorne and Robbie, have, have created yourselves or what you guys have stolen uh, from other ideas. Um, if you guys think of something that you guys really want to talk about, we'll go that way. Yeah. I mean it's it's really it's i mean it's a really broad topic like homebrew yeah because i mean everybody does it at some point it's uh especially dungeons and dragons leave so much um creative power in like the dungeon masters and even the players and it's so easy to just create something new or something inspired by the stuff mm -hmm. that, that's in the like player's handbook and everything that's unsanctioned that's why that's why even even uh, Wizards of the Coast and uh, the powers that be have their own um, homebrew like sanctioned page. It's like, oh look, this is sanctioned homebrew. It's not, <laughs> it's not homebrew that you're creating. It's homebrew that we're creating, which means it's just that much more legal to use. <laughs> and and I reckon homebrew when it started coming about. It was amazing to me because we, I mean, even back when I started, we did our own version of homebrew. We twisted and, and tweaked things because it does, you know, Wafi really leaves so much power with the DMs. Exactly. And it and, just makes for a much more inclusive and funner game. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I think one of the things that, uh, I've loved the most is like, you know, like you, Robbie, you were saying about the, the sanctioned unsanctioned homebrew, uh, unearthed arcana on the, uh, uh, it's a subreddit page. Um, they release all kinds of, uh, of items. And then they have like artists who go in and also create content for unearthed arcana. And I guess, I don't know if it's like the wizards are like, Oh shit, I like that idea. Let's put it, <laughs> let's do it. And so they've yeah, got exactly. like, They've got a bunch of uh, of artists and and co-creators that just send ideas to Watsy, and then uh, you know they're like, oh yeah, I like that idea. Go ahead, put it in the subreddit. Do it. <laughs> and, and then there's others that are like, well, then eh, not so much, but still use it in your game. It's still fun. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about uh, was uh, 
our individual campaigns of what specifically we've used in homebrew. Um, I know one of the things that off the top of my head was I used an item from Dungeon Scribe. Uh, he's a uh, uh, artist and content creator that does stuff on Instagram and on on uh, the Unearthed Arcana subreddit and stuff like that. Um, and I used his uh, scratches tome and I took the idea from it and I kind of changed a little bit to make it a little bit more mine. Uh, but his idea was that, you know, old scratches, of course, a, a moniker for the devil. And so there was this tome of spells and things that the, a wizard could use. And anytime he, he or she opened the tome, uh, you heard whispers and you saw scratch marks uh, behind you, things like that. Um, and I just kind of added to it that if you happen to make a spell um, or a, a deal with the older um, user, you know, the person who had the book before you, um, your soul is encased into the tome upon your death. Um, and so the, the back of the book, instead of an appendix or a table of context, it's a, uh, it's a list of just names and each one is scratched off uh, except for the last two in my campaign, the current player and the previous owner who was set free, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think it would have changed, even if you did know. <laughs> I don't think oh, it would have. wouldn't have changed anything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> um, and it, it's definitely when I when I saw that, like, um, I it it had that that air of homebrew, and I really really enjoyed it because it's it's very homebrew is very um. It's very amazing. It kind of adds a, a like, it's like your chef's kiss on your game. Like it's mm -hmm. like, it's like, hey, this is my game. This is my world, and this is my, this is how I set it apart. Like here's this, here's these items, or here's this class that's unique and unique to my world. Um, one of the ones that I use, uh, especially in the game that we're playing now, um, the Ugorth, uh, I recently that you all ran into is um, the seed of magic mm -hmm. um that one it's a flower with a with a bulb uh, growing in the center of it and that that bulb is a is a source of magic it is a connector to the weave of magic around the world around everybody and it usually is used in to like power large spells for long periods of time and it's it's my own homebrew creation, um, and I drew inspiration from. Funny enough, I drew inspiration from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nice. In the comic books, <laughs> because in the comic books, um, there are these things called world seeds, which are, which are the sources of magic on any like planet or multiverse. Mm -hmm. And if the world seeds destroyed, all magic disappears. And the fun, the cool thing is, is you can actually take that world seed and put it onto another world. Um, that, that's lost its world seed and revive all the magic in, in the world. And so I took that concept on a smaller scale and I, I placed it in, in the dungeon to, to kind of uh, manifest this um, conjuration of a whole plane of existence. So that's one of the things I've done with homebrew. I like it. And, and I, personally, I, I love homebrew. And I will take... The way I look at homebrew is like this, you know, Wasi's got the mines and they've got 
some of the, the most genius people in the world when it, when it comes to this kind of thing. But there are still so many people out there that have that are so creative in creating these things that places like D and D Wiki and and all the Reddit, the subreddits and all that stuff, they they're able to express that and share it. Mm-hmm. So I take full advantage of then I tweak it. Oh yeah. And I, I tweak the shit out of just all everything I do. <laughs> so I mean, there's what I'm doing currently is I'm taking uh, a sen- I made a sentient sword. So in, in one of uh, in Illidan's campaign, I'm I'm actually playing a sentient sword, and they have a sentient sword homebrew, but I didn't quite like it, so I yeah. made my own. Yeah, we messed that all yeah. up. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh, but I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> it's, he's he's still alive, <laughs> but. The, the biggest trick when, when creating your own is, is balance. Because you can really OP it badly. True. And, and we, we can touch on that, too. Um, because balancing issues, you know, that's always like the, the crux of, of any DMs or story weavers uh, issue with campaigns. Uh, you know, for instance, like right now, uh, Robbie and Thorne are in... Uh, arc two of my campaign where it's a level 20 and beyond campaign but i'm home brewing horde of the dragon queen which is a level one through seven campaign and i'm taking it and moving it and molding it and destroying it completely and turning it into a level 20 and the issue is always i mean eight kobolds is not going to scare a single level 20 character much less six that we have right now so it's all about balancing and, and taking the, uh, you know, the items and the encounters and the rewards and changing it to where it works. Um, but at the same time, as, as we talked about in, uh, in the last episode, uh, Thorne and I are of the, of the mindset that we can't really OP anything to the extent of that it's game-breaking. It's just a matter of, giving a um uh what did you call it thorn um a flaw or a um some kind of punishment to using that item because like for your sentient yeah. sword we have a bunch of different things that could possibly happen to you if the dice just don't like you that day <laughs> yep it's very and like with the sentient sword it's actually holding encasing a fallen angel so, and he's a, he's a black fallen angel. So it's, he's a little bit more and he wants to get back at the God that cursed him. So he's constantly looking for a more powerful being to come in contact with, to take over, but it's not as easy as just, you know, he grabs a sword and he takes over or he just, you know, it's, I didn't want the type of, of a sentient sword that just talks to the person using. It. Right. So, I made it a mental battle. So it's will versus will. It's willpower versus willpower. And that's great. But when you get into powerful creatures, their willpower could be just as high, if not higher than, than the character I'm playing. That's true. So it's, it's, it's that, that double-edged sword. And it's not just one role. You have to win three roles in a row. 
Right, because so especially the the higher level creatures, like the one that you're in right now, an adult blue dragon, he has legendary resistances. So even if he fails the roll, he's just like, ah, whatever, legendary resistance. <laughs> and then you have to try again and again. <laughs> that's, that's very true. And then my character was easy pickings because my character had a very high um a high will but it's i rolled really low as well yeah <laughs> and no legendary resistance and no legendary resistance so how but, i mean and then and there's also a way to do like what i did with Terran and rick where it was the seed of just twins mm -hmm. and of a homebrew race which i really really liked and I just, I put my twist on it again with the curse and, you know, different things. Gave them goals to reach in the future. That's a big thing you can do with uh, a homebrew or a homebrew of your own is build in some goal for you to reach in the campaign. It helps the DM out and it, it just, it makes everything so much more personal. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing before I ask uh, Robbie one more, uh, one question, um, you brought up the twins thorn uh we absolutely stole that completely uh you know we saw oh, yeah. you saw the andreason uh race or sub race and so okay we like that so write that down and then you wanted to do twins and then we just happened to be talking about uh the movie lady hawk um don't copyright me um, but we stole the entire premise of that and then twisted it and made it a curse um, that happened, you know, daily uh, to the twins and that it was uh, your, your backstory was that a, a God had cursed you. And like you were saying about um, helping the DMs out, um, every, every backstory is technically a homebrew. Whenever we make a character, we, we create a character, even one specifically from D&D. &D. If you go to the, the, the character handbook and you line by line make a character, you're still homebrewing it because you have to make that backstory. And when you gave me your backstory for the twins, I was like, well, it's not the God that you think of that cursed you. He just wants you to think that. And it, it, you didn't find that out until many, many, many sessions later of our one and a half year long arc <laughs> um, that we were able to, it was one and a half years. It was a long time. Uh, but, you know, when, when Thorne finally found out, or rather Rick and, and Tara, his characters uh, found out that it was actually Bane instead of Sylvanas that cursed them. Uh, then their, their goal that they had thought they had completely shifted. And especially for, uh, for Tara, it was like the end all be all of the goal. It was the Bane had to die and pay for what he did. And so uh, the, the question leading into that, Robbie, is, is how do you, we were talking about balancing, how do you balance a, a character's backstory like that and add it into um, your campaigns? Well, um, like a character's backstory or like a, a homebrew, like a, yeah, like a, like a homebrew. Cause I mean, you know, like we said, we, we homebrewed uh, all three of those characters, technically of, of Thorn, um, you know, the sentient sword, we basically made a race um, for that, for that whole thing. We made all the mechanics for the, the wisdom saves that he had to do 
uh, between whatever creature takes hold of his uh, of his vessel. Um, and, you know, for the twins, we uh, we created this curse uh, that uh, gave them essentially a, a, a minor wild shape. Uh, but it was we added a flare of of it being a painful process in order to switch to just the one creature. It was never uh, any creature. It was just the one. Um, and then like for your new campaign, you and I worked on creating a race. How did, how did uh, you go about looking at, at the balancing? I know obviously I helped a little bit, but how are you looking at the stat blocks and the, the racial feats and saying, okay, this is balanced and this is entirely too OP. What's your process for that? Um, what I tend to do is when, when like, when you presented me with your character, <laughs> your character, <laughs> it, it is, it is a very interesting character. I really, really like it. Um, I like the race you presented and I like the, I like the concepts. Um, but balancing it in my world was relatively easy because, um, I'm, um, because it blends really well with my setting, uh, mm -hmm. first off. And on top of that, like any, any ability that you have, like it's, I don't want to say it's really easy to to balance um, balance homebrew with your campaign, but you're the you're the dungeon master, and any homebrew that's added in adds to your world, adds to your role play, and you could essentially just so say you give them a powerful ability, a powerful weapon, um, you could at any time um, set guidelines for it um that for them to better understand the weapon um like your race coming in um there's it's it's a powerful race that you have and uh it coming into the world you have statistically compared to the other races you're a bit more powerful but you're also don't have the same kind of charis um, charisma stat as the other ones because you have an alien body mm -hmm. like right that's why it was really easy to balance it when you when you told me about the the creature you want to do i i told you directly i was like you're gonna you are a an alien an alien looking creature so a lot of people are gonna look at you strangely and then with your abilities i i felt they were pretty balanced because it's a horror setting and right it's um body horror alien alien creatures like um, strange beings like it, it fit perfectly into my world um but when balancing home homebrew um whatever the homebrew they present like no matter how how powerful it looks um you can always add guidelines to it you can always tweak it and whatever it's put into your world adds adds flavor to your world for example like my ukworth campaign i have i have the uh the beholder gods and mm -hmm. they're completely homebrewed gods I created a whole pathion for my world and um it's it they're extremely powerful and they're extremely alien and they balance well with everything in in, in the world and it just adds flavor to my my homebrew setting and i love it it's great and i have to admit that that's one of the most unique settings that i've ever played in yeah it's, it's been a lot of fun it has but the one the one thing i just for new DMs, uh, new story weavers, I, I beg you, if your players want to do a homebrew or if they want to come up with their own stuff, let them do it. Help them. Yes. It's, it's just a great pleasure to actually go through 
uh, and make these homebrews with your your players, with other DMs, uh, talk talk them through, bounce ideas off of each other. That's really what we do a lot of. All three of us, yeah, uh, we're we're close enough friends where we just bounce ideas off each other constantly, and we come up with some of the best stuff we have together. Yeah, and the the one thing that I always um, advocate and warn against is when when you're doing a, a homebrew, you have to talk back and forth player to to dungeon master. You can't um, come to a a, a session. Uh, like session one and say okay dm this is my character and the dm's just like yeah this is entirely op you have you have level four spells and you're a level one character how is this possible um so you you do have to let your dungeon master or your story weaver know hey this is the idea that i have kind of like how i did with robbie you know i said okay this is this is my race and we're trying to be vague because we haven't started the campaign yet, but this is my race that I want to do. Here's the, the racial feats and the, uh, the spells and things that he can do. And this is why. And I used um, a different race and different racial features uh, to kind of help me balance out. So that's one thing that any uh, dungeon master can do is you could just crack open the uh, character handbook and look at dwarves and dwarves get a racial feat of being uh, immune to disease and, and poisons. Uh, and they get a, I think it's a plus two uh, to strength if you're a hill dwarf and you get like a, a different plus for a mountain dwarf and things like that. And you can use it even though you're calling, it doesn't, you know, it, okay, it's not a dwarf, it's a, it's a huba blue and your huba blue is a charismatic creature. So instead of plus two to strength, you're giving him a plus two to charisma, but it all has to go back and forth to a dungeon master. And now I feel like I have to create a huba blue race because that's just a funny, <laughs> it's a funny damn name. <laughs> well, I mean, with, with the, the sentient sword I made, uh, and, and really Rick and Tara's whole thing, I mean, and me and Illidine just texted back and forth constantly. Oh, yeah. And there were huge wall texts of, of just ideas, and, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And, and Illidine would be like, okay, you can do this, but let's try doing this instead. Mm-hmm. And it just went back and forth like that. And it just it makes a much more cohesive character for the balance. And then on top of that, you know, uh, I'm a writer, just like I know Robbie's a writer as well. Thorne is not. Um, no, not at all. Uh-uh. <laughs> which which is no. why it was so funny that we were doing these wall texts because, you know, I, I don't like being on the phone all that much. So, you know, we're we're texting back and forth. It's like, okay, uh, long text inbound. And we're like, all right, well, shit. And then 15 minutes later, it's like a seven-page text message from both of us. Um just because we're we're writing writing different ideas down and especially as a as a writer myself um once thorn had given me uh the premise and and you know the like especially for the twins um we spent hours on end talking about the mechanics of the curse we talked about um what was going on why the curse happened when the curse happened and then at the end of it when he said okay i've got my characters i know what i'm going to do I said, okay, great. 
here's a small short story that I just wrote off the top of my head uh, while you were giving me all these ideas. And I just copied and pasted from his text messages into the short story so that I was, you know, I only wrote like maybe half the short story. And then I just copied and pasted his words into it. And I sent it back to him. And he was like, yeah, that's great. But I want it to be a dream instead of being real life. And I want to wake up in this curse. And, you know, then the, uh, the uh, when when they saw uh, their the, the character saw their father die, that's when they were cursed. And they had almost like a dreamlike sequence uh, for the first, you know, uh, I'd call it a 0.5 session because it wasn't even really a zero session <laughs> that we were doing yeah, all this exactly, character yeah. building. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And it, just to mention that, and I, I'll, I'll give the floor to you here in a second, Robbie. Uh, I encourage DM story weavers to, to do zero sessions with their people. Oh, it's almost a necessity now. Nowadays yeah. it is, but back in the day, we didn't do that. Yeah. Zero sessions are awesome because you get to flesh out your character. And I always like them personally, like for World of Darkness especially, I prefer them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I know that's not always possible. Uh, but if you can, one-on-one is the best because that's when you get the, the most fleshing out of the character. Exactly. Um, oh, uh, the... Uh, <laughs> My bad. Um, the uh, the when it comes to homebrew, I I really I really feel that there's always just enough space for for homebrew. Like um, whatever creative concept that your player comes up with, it usually has some kind of uh, some kind of stem stemming from from inspiration from another thing that they read or a thing that they saw. And there's always room for it in your world. That's why you have the the session zeros. They they talk to you. And they tell you what they're doing. And I'm just like, yeah, like I can make room for that. You want to play like a thing over here? Like, yeah, let's build a, let's build a continent. And like, unless you're, unless you're strictly building a, unless you've already built your map of your world and you've like already broken down, which I guarantee is, it's a hard task. Some people can do it. Some people can't. Um, But if you've already broken down your world to like the, the smallest creature to like how many, how much multiverse there is, like, what exists on your world there's always room to make to, to add homebrew so what you're um, saying is if you matt mercered your world it might be hard i but guarantee it, you but if you matt mercered <laughs> if you matt mercered your world and you're matt mercer then go ahead and homebrew because you could fit it in because you're matt mercer is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> i agree <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think I, I mean, I, I'm always curious when I meet dungeon masters that are like, oh, no, homebrew is just not at my table. Oh, we don't have time for them. They are, we don't have, <laughs> have time for them. They are, they're I, usually people who are playing like with like the full statistics, like the full stats in front of them. And they're like, everything has to line up numbers. And, like if they're playing right. like a video game. Exactly. And, and they're oftentimes, oftentimes they're min maxers, which is not, it's not bad to min max, but there's a time and a place and a certain way to to do min maxing because I mean everyone likes their character to at least be strong and not look retarded. You know, you don't want your barbarian to be uh, super intelligent but have a negative one strength modifier. It just doesn't make sense. But at the same time, with with homebrew 
or with without homebrew, you are stuck in this railroaded box that you just can't get out of. And it's not, at least for the three of us, I know for sure, it's not fun for us. We don't get to throw ideas out there. We don't get to, to um, be crazy and chaotic. I mean, most of our characters that we make are chaotic creatures. And even uh, even Thorne's lawful good character right now that he plays in, in the Ugorth campaign with Robbie, um, he's still, I mean, he still has the creativity to kind of go outside of that a little bit, as long as we have some kind of explanation. Like last session, uh, shameless plug for Robbie, uh, his Glimpse the Unknown uh, twitch.tv, uh, we every every other Monday we have our campaign. Um, in the last session yesterday, um, Demi, my character, the the chaotic satyr, was told by an aspect of a god, "Well, the you know the third key to getting out of this place is that thing's heart." And I just turned around and shot it. And Thorn, being lawful paladin, following a god, there's an aspect of a god. He just kind of shrugged and said, okay, here we go. And, you know, ripped the heart out once I had shot it. But most... To everyone's horror. To everyone's horror. Um, except the three of us. Because, I mean, you pretty much expect it at this point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but a, a, a DM that doesn't like that stuff, doesn't like the, the chaotic and, the, and the, the out there ideas, i.e. homebrew... Um, he would have said, no, no, no. Paladins would never do that. It, he's a lawful good character. He would never, like, it, it's almost like, oh, he'll never kill, but that's literally what we do in Dungeons and Dragons. Like, it, it's just... Yeah, that's... <laughs> uh, I'll let you... I'll, I'll give the floor to your um, Thorn in a second, but I want to touch on that really quickly, because if we if we look at that, if we, if we look at the box that that is... The, like main the main stories that uh, Wizards of the Coast wants wants to tell with the with all of the published content. Um, it it's uh, my biggest issue with it, and the big problem I have with people who don't do homebrew is that like everything's just so black and white. Like everything yes. is paladins are good um, until they're not. Like until they break an oath and they're like they're either like, super good or super evil. Um, and then like kobolds are are stupid. Goblins are like goblins are dumb, like, orcs are evil, like, it just, it has all of these, like, connotations that I'm not entirely comfortable with, and mm -hmm. as, as somebody who really loves these, like, monstrous races, I just, I, I like the idea that, that there is a, there is a kobold who can rise above the pre, it's, a uh, it's, um, it's preconceived notions of what a kobold is, and be like, oh, hey, I'm I'm strong, like I'm I'm a I'm a barbarian kobold, and like, and orcs are like, well, I'm a good orc, and you know, demons can demons and devils and angels can can all have like this spectrum of whether they're good or evil, like they can fall in a gray area, and I just I love the idea of playing with that. That's why I love homebrew so much because a lot of homebrew kind of plays with those ideas of your pre your preconceived notions of what good and evil are, mm -hmm. and so I'm just I. That's why that's why it's so hard for me to play just regular published campaigns sometimes, um, like the official content, because I'm just like, oh, we're killing orcs. Well, are the orcs are the orcs good? Oh, they have to die in order to 
move forward because they're evil. Um, okay, but why are they evil? And that was one of the, the things that I encountered when playing in, in one of my friend's campaigns. Um, he, he, was playing, um, he was playing the dragon, Horde of the Dragon Queen, mm-hmm. and he was playing it by the book. And the kobolds were all, were all evil, and they were worshiping Tiamat. And I was like trying to, I was like, I want to try to communicate with them before we slaughter all the kobolds. And it was like, it was an impossible thing. Like he, he had already like openly was like, well, the kobolds won't believe you because they're evil. And I'm just like, but they can't all be evil. Every single kobold in the world can't be evil. Right. Um, like, so, sorry. Rent over. My bad. Right. No. <laughs> no, and that's a, it's actually it's it's common, especially among uh, newer DMs that aren't quite comfortable with expanding on the the parameters of what the game's drawn out in the the DM's guide and in the player's guide. Mm-hmm. They're they're kind of they don't want to expand out because they're just not comfortable with it, uh, and, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with certain aspects of it, but especially in the world today, it needs to be all inclusive. Uh, and even me, as old school player as I am, and, and a lot of my characters have problems with goblins for some reason. I don't mean it to happen; it just does. <laughs> and everybody gives me shit for it, <laughs> especially one of our other friends. Actually, the the one uh, Jamal from from uh, episode one. Yeah, but uh. Yeah, because he loves goblins, and most of my characters don't. <laughs> so, uh, I'm I'm trying to be better about it, but <laughs> it's it's something that needs to happen. Because if you if you go dive into the homebrew, if you go online and dive into homebrew, my God, there's so much. Yeah, there is so much, and some DMs just say. You know, any homebrew you want, just talk to me about it. We'll figure it out. Right. And there's some people who are like, just go here, here, here. These are the ones I want to deal with. And that's fine. It's, it's good either way. Mm-hmm. But if you're a new DM and you want to just deep dive into something, just look up homebrew. There is so many. And there's so many ideas. And so many of them are really good. I mean, wrong. There's some really bad ones. <laughs> yeah. There is some really bad ones, but that doesn't mean you can't take it and make it good. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, because as far as saying like, oh, it's a really bad one, it's not that it's a bad idea. It's that potentially, you know, maybe a, a spell or two are just really OP or the racial feats are just astronomically different than um, what is normally done for like, say, a level one character. Um, but all that is is just minor tweaking and uh you know dialing things down or dialing things up in some cases um you know because you you could have like right now uh in robbie's campaign i'm gonna be a a bard class but it's gonna be a a homebrew bard class we're level three i chose the college of linguistics nowhere in the college well uh, not until level like 14 does the college of linguistics actually have any real combat relative additions to it so i'm all my combat stuff is gonna have to be off of the the bard um level increasements and things but my college isn't gonna have that it's more about the role play it's about the lore behind things you know each each level that i gain 
I get to, uh, it's like the third, fifth, and seventh, I think, I get two more languages that I get to learn. But that doesn't help in combat, whereas there are obviously different um, subclasses of other characters, like rogues, that are like, yeah, my spell, my sneak attack gets an extra 2d6 every time I uh, it levels up, and I can one-shot something by the time I'm level 7. <laughs> so it's all about uh dialing those things in i don't i don't think you know as far as uh a bad idea i think it's more a bad balancing idea yeah it's it's the, it's it's a it's an act i mean right. it's a balancing act you have you have to balance it like with the sentient sword it could very easily be op oh yeah but yeah. what what we did just to take the whole top off of it was we made this sword be the most recognizable sword among clerics and paladins and also hated. Right. So it, it takes the, like, because we could have made the sword to where if anybody sees it, they're automatically scared. But yeah. no, we didn't do that. We put a, a negative connotation to it and that kind of took some of the I don't know, some of the teeth away from it. Right. And it also leads to hilarity as well. Um, because in session one, Robbie was playing a cleric and he saw the sword and he instantly hated the sword, banished the the NPC that was carrying the sword and picked it up. And so we had this, you know, wisdom saving throw uh, 1v1, player versus player. <laughs> And Robbie's dice lost. So for a short amount of time, one session, um, Thorne had control. It wasn't even the whole session. It wasn't even the whole session. <laughs> Thorne, uh, Thorne had control of Robbie's original character, Clarice, and Robbie had to re, you know, write up a new character on the spot. Which, I knew her well. Yeah. And, and you know, that's that's actually some of the greatest things in my mind for any tabletop role-playing game. I mean, the role-play part of it, it's one, it's in the damn name. Um, the role-play aspect of it is a lot more fun, at least to me, and immersive. I've done dungeon crawly games where it's combat after combat after combat, and those can be fun, but in my experience, it's always fun because of the way we've done it. We've always done a slight bit of role play between, you know, like when you kill a character, what's the, what's the famous line? How do you want to do this? Like that's, that's something that everyone across almost every table I've ever played in has ever said is how do you want to kill it? How do you want to do it? And you have to describe the death. That's role play. There's no mechanics about that. There's no, I'm going to roll my dice to see how well I decapitate this monster. It's just that we're role playing that aspect. And especially for older players like the three of us, we've leaned heavily into the role play aspects of games as opposed to uh, the combat aspects of games. We almost put off combat almost too far sometimes we, just because we, we want to get that extra role play in yeah um, especially <laughs> especially in, in games we we give a lot of options on what you can do instead of combat and say, sometimes it's just 
sometimes people take the, the non-combat option, which yeah. is fine. Like, I mean, as long as it's role-played well, we can avoid the, the massive slaughter ahead, you know? Yeah. So. And I mean, uh, our, our friend Raven uh, did that gloriously in arc one of my campaign when she forgot that red dragons were inherently evil most of the time. And you guys went into the fire plane to get the God killing sword. And she just waltzed in and was like, Hey, I want to talk to your boss. It like straight up, just care into the entire encounter. I want to talk to your manager and just walked on through. And it was charisma roll after charisma roll to get there. And, you know, she finally gets to the, to the red dragon and raven's just like so you're a pretty dragon can i have that sword <laughs> and, and sure. just it was, just it rolls was perfectly best, yeah it was some of her best role playing she ever did yeah yeah it was it was <laughs> it was really really great and it's funny because it came off the heels of a massive slaughter oh, yeah. of fire giants yeah. before we got there <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, death-defying combat encounter into just the best role play I've seen from Raven. Um, and then also the best roles I have ever seen from Raven. Like who notoriously rolls for crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, terribly. <laughs> um, consistently having to put her dice in jail, notoriously rolling for crap. I mean, she straight up is a dice goblin because she throws away like she puts she puts like sets into dice jail it's not just like oh this d20 is in jail no it's like entire sets end up in jail multiple sessions <laughs> across and we have like you know a, a cleansing ritual and stuff for the for the dice um but uh i mean that that session alone was i think because oh, we finished the combat uh the very beginning of the session and it was like three hours of just role play after that you know we got the all of that you know we said it in a very quick manner but you know she she asked for her for the manager and got all the way through the red dragon in like an hour or two and then we had role play after that because you guys managed to fly back across the fire plane to get home and i don't remember which character it was but you know uh raven's character milo they were they were like hey Milo, you, you do know that red dragons are evil, right? And she was like, oh shit, really? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> she just completely forgot. And okay, remember, this is the same, this is the same Milo that thought a black dragon could be good. And it ended up being good. <laughs> and that's that's the thing that we were talking about just uh, you know, like five, ten minutes ago, is that we we as as story weavers aren't we don't stick to the box. Like I could have just said, no, it's a black dragon. It's evil. Get over it. But then now I have a player that is upset with me because I didn't give her the chance to express something else in, in the campaign. That's why I, I like calling ourselves uh, story weavers instead of the dungeon masters. Cause to, to me, I guess this is the new AG millennial side of me. Um, is that you know the dungeon master is that that railroady in the box i am i am the god and you're still yeah you're still the god of your world and you could do whatever the hell you want in your in your world and if there's a good reason for it and you you say no all black dragons are evil then okay fine all black dragons are evil but 
now you have to play on that fact that all black dragons are evil. You have to put black dragons everywhere in your world and have the party go against, you know, maybe the, the master black dragon or the ancient black dragon, or even throw Tiamat in there and have, have that as the, the crux of a campaign. But it was much more fun to say, okay, Raven, go ahead and roll me like eight D 100s if they are above a set amount that I will write down, then your black dragon will potentially be a good black dragon. And it ended up that, you know, through the eight rolls, uh, she had eight D 100 rolls and I think it was six D 20 rolls. Um, and eventually through each roll, there was one, you know, a couple that passed and then a couple that failed. And then she, you know, did the, the D 20 rolls and I used the the morals charter or the alignment chart from from Watsi, and I just took it from chaotic evil, and I just ticked it for every success towards uh, lawful good, and every failure I ticked it back one, and eventually, you know, through all these these rolls, landed on uh, true neutral for the dragon. So I, uh, instead of it being just a black dragon, it was a black dragon. Uh, sparkled with a little bit of gold in it and that forced me and raven to come up with this story of why there's a black and gold dragon so now i've got a history that i can write there's there's a backstory to not only this dragon and the dragon's parents but now i've got a history of like okay when when you guys go to um to talk to bahamut and the you know the god of the of the dragons um, he's going to say, oh yeah, I remember uh, there only three black dragons in the entire world were ever remotely good. And, you know, now I have to write this story about how this egg came to be in the dungeon and yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. It's just like we've all said multiple times, it just makes it more fun to just homebrew this shit and just make it, just go wild with it. <laughs> True. I, yeah, I, and, and I played my characters to the point to where they were ready to kill that dragon. Yeah. But, but they gave Milo the chance. Right. And it, it and, added to that tension. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of tension that one. <laughs> and there's still a lot I, of I thought, tension. I thought Raven wanted to punch me in the throat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, there's still a lot of tension with, with that dragon. Like, Raven is consistently having to defend why the dragon looks black looks like a black dragon yeah so i mean it's but it, it it makes for great it makes for great story points like you said and it's i i enjoy and i'm i'm not i'm probably not alone in this but i enjoy being able to create things that aren't black and white like there's everything's mm -hmm. a spectrum on on how on how good or evil something is like i i enjoy making goblins who are really intelligent even though typically they're portrayed as unintelligent i enjoy mm -hmm. making kobolds that are powerful i enjoy making like um angels that are typically not good and demons that are more inclined to be helpful than they are evil i just it's it makes for great world building it does and i mean there's there is that argument that you know you're saying that not everything is black and white 
this is as political as I'll ever get on this podcast, but the world is not black and white, like in reality, IRL, we're, we are not black and white. There's no um, definitive line that says, no, this is, this is that black side. This is that white side. There's always some gray area in there. And I live for the gray area. That is, that is my fun area. <laughs> I have a timeshare in the gray area. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that of, of all the the things you could do, like with d and it, it teaches you, especially if you start at a young age, to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. Especially now with, with 5e and anything they do beyond, it seems like they're getting more and more so. Right. I mean, it, it, got, it, it got, they even changed some of the, of the uh, the backstory to Strahd and the Curse of Strahd, the 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 campaign books, to be more inclusive, right? And you know, so it, like everything, there's oh, there's always like some lashback from nostalgics and stuff like that, or people who may not understand why there's a change for this inclusivity. Um, you know trying to be not as uh, trying not to be political but like some things of of the curse of strahd was that um there's a certain culture that is portrayed in a negative light that is very close to the romanian culture and very uh, very close to being portrayed as the stereotypical gypsy that obviously the romanians do not like being called gypsies and you know so there's there's always these little little subtleties that are being changed in every uh it seems like every lore book that comes out there's there's new inclusivities like you said and there's new uh changes to make things like oh hey yeah i was racist before i'm gonna change that (laughs) um but then also there's there's that argument that even if there was uh say a, a a racist um point like how we how we said like in in the the old days goblins were were goblins that's that's just it they, they were the thing to kill uh in one and two e and we we dungeon crawled and we we fought 30 goblins and then there was a, a gelatinous cube and that was basically it of course dragons and and demons and stuff but pretty much <laughs> it's like you know there was like five enemies really you know that on the off the top of my head that have transversed every edition, you know, goblins, orcs, demons and angels, dragons, and a gelatinous cube. <laughs> yeah, it always ended with the gelatinous cube. Yeah. Always. <laughs> Yay. But it's homebrew to me for some of this been playing since the beginning. Uh with A D and D. The homebrew has really grown to where it's so big now that if if you have experienced players it's hard to make them play a normal race oh god it's a race that's in the the book. <laughs> yeah i i nobody wants to play a human no and nobody if they do, wants to play a human. if they do it's a variant human at best like worst case exactly. scenario i choose variant <laughs> but it's it's so massive to where it's just and I'm a slow character builder because I think on it yeah. and I want to come up with my own thing. So I think on it for a couple of weeks usually. And 
if I go into a deep dive into some of the homebrew stuff, man, I could spend hours just scrolling through that stuff. Oh, it's so much fun. And then on top of that, you know, you know, God's forbid that your DM says, okay, you get one magic item. And you're like, oh, well, shit, I've got a whole plethora of homebrew items I could go through. What uh, what rarity are we talking about? Okay, less than rare. Okay, that that narrows it down by 1,000 items. Now I have to go through a whole bunch. <laughs> it's like, there's just so much, so many different variants. And it's kind of interesting how the... Um, even uh, even some of the homebrew items looking at one artist to another artist, I mean, when you think about it, like think about a magic shield. A shield is a shield, but there's just so many different things you can run with that shield. Like you know, Robbie's character in my campaign has the shield of freaking Gilgamesh and there's <laughs> there's a, a, a ram shield that deals damage to, uh, or extra damage to structures. I've seen magic shields that uh, if your party has, uh, each one has the same shield, it, it gets a plus one or a plus two to AC uh, for a phalanx maneuver or a shield wall. And, you know, it, it's it's always fun to see these items that are based off of history or to see, see things based off of movies, uh, TV shows, all these different things. Like there's nothing, uh, I forget what the exact quote is, but there there's nothing... There's no original idea anymore. It's it's all just twists and variations of essentially the same thing. Oh, and don't forget that the many different pantheons of gods and oh yeah. I mean you can go the Norse gods, you can go Greek, Roman, you can go any god you want in D D. There is precedence for all of them. Right. And even if there isn't precedence, there's at least enough precedence of of different pantheons that you can create your own as robbie did in his campaign he created his own pantheon of beholders but beholders. they're still they're they're still gods that you know in in, in, exactly. its, in in its basic form it's a god in a DD world and then he just changed little things here and there to make it his beholder gods to make it his own thing and that's what i beg people to do when I play in their, in their, their tables is don't, don't tell me like, this is the, okay, here's the player's handbook. That's all you got. Like, don't give me that because I will no. fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. That's what I, yeah. I tell, I tell people all the time when I'm playing with them in their world, if they, if they're just doing the, the basic, like they're like, you can only pick from here, here, here. And I'm like, but have you considered? Right. <laughs> and they're just like, <laughs> Because in that same campaign, the Horde of the Dragon Queen campaign that I was, I'm, I'm a part of, I'm playing an elf, but I originally wanted to play a bugbear. And oh, I got so much slack for it. Um, <laughs> the table that I'm with there, he was, he was determined to tell me that bugbear is evil. And I, I was like, but it's in the, but it's in these, it's in here. Like, and he's, he said, and he was like, if you're a bugbear, they're going to attack you because you're evil. And I'm like, but why? Why is the bugbear evil? <laughs> See, and, and and I'm an evil person because if if a DM told me, okay, well, if you're gonna be a bugbear, you're gonna be evil. I'm gonna be like, oh, you just let the chains off, bud. Like, yeah. I'm gonna be evil. <laughs> yeah, those those are the fun ones. Yeah. Now, now, let me ask you this: Would we? Do you think we get in trouble for plugging some homebrew websites? 
I don't think so because we're not claiming it as as our content. So there's your uh, uh, there's your disclaimer, audience. The the following yeah. sites are not ours. We just use them in our own personal campaigns, uh, for not for money or for anything else other than pure enjoyment and entertainment. Okay, Thorin, it's you. D and D Wiki is one of my personal favorites. Uh, there is so many to go through, though. If you plan on touching the Indian Wiki, give yourself like two to three hours because it's going to oh, take easily. you a while. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm staring at one right now. If you're if you are a new dungeon master, a new story weaver, um, and that actually just reminded me that I went on a tangent and forgot to actually say why we call ourselves story weavers. I'll get to that in a second. Um, there is a book that you can go to uh, Amazon or you could go to Barnes and Noble uh, and you can get, and it's from Watsi um, and it, the whole thing, I'll read the whole title. It's Dungeons and Dragons, the world builders journal of legendary adventures, uh, create mythical characters, storied worlds and unique campaigns. Uh, this was a gift to me from good old Robbie. Um, and I have yet to write in it. I have used at least 10 of the prompts on these pages i just haven't written on the page because the page is like i don't know uh me less than a foot worth of of writing space and for for a writer when it says you know here's page one right describe the black market in one of the cities you encounter i won't even read the rest just that sentence alone i'm like jesus christ okay like the black market i need like 10 pages of this because i've got character names i've got backstories for those characters i've got who's the head of the thieves guild who's the head of the black market are they friends are they foes do they often fight for territory is the city that you encounter uh okay with the black market or are they constantly on guard and anytime somebody mentions the black market they're immediately arrested or they're immediately hung like it just goes on and on and on and if you're if you're looking for ideas, you can Google uh, essay prompts. Even even the saddest essay prompt. No, that's not true because I've taken the tax test. Some of the saddest prompts that you could ever do <laughs> um, can be turned into an amazing campaign or at least an amazing backstory. And we've said it in all three of our past episodes. Steal everything if you if you aren't you know as long as you yeah. don't as long as you don't claim the content as your own because even even my campaign uh, for arc one i stole ideas from the podcast dungeons and randomness i literally stole their map uh for a portion of my world i took their continent alara i made the continent i kept the same names and i told my party hey this map here, it's not mine. I didn't draw it. I stole it from this podcast. I'm going to use it, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm stealing the names, but I'm changing the backstory of half the cities and the, the basics is there, but everything else is me. And we played the shit out of it for a year and a half. And we went to different islands. We went to different uh, planes and it's all different things that I just used based off of, that one map plus a few uh, uh, books from Watsi, you know? So as long as, you know, audience, as long as you're not um, 
streaming the if you were if you were to stream a a, a game, at least give uh, credit to who whatever artist. Just like how I talked about Dungeon Scribe with Old Scratch's tome, I used his item. I even emailed him and asked him permission if we were to use it on a podcast or a uh, streaming service could I do it as long as I credit him? And he said, yes. And I even got lucky enough that he had an extra backstory for the item. And I was like, here, this is what I used in my campaign for my notes. And I, I almost had a heart attack and died right there on the spot. Like I had to call, I called Thorne that day. And I was like, Thorne, you'll never guess. Uh, Dungeon Scribe, I emailed him and then he gave me this and we read it together and fucking just went off the rails. <laughs> for the oh, item. oh yeah, I had a lot of it. A lot of those homebrew guys, if you if you email them or message them, yeah, they're going to answer you. Yeah, they're super cool guys. And I mean, you know, Dungeons, yeah. uh, I, I will uh, gladly plug Dungeon Scribe if he ever hears this podcast. Hello, Dungeon Scribe. Um, and he, he has an Instagram. He has uh, a subreddit page, and he goes on to Unearth Arcana a lot. Um, and he has a Patreon. And for, I think, eight months, I was a patron on his patron uh, Patreon, and every every week or so, he puts out a new item, and every month he puts out a, a special item and artwork and card that's all inclusive, and it comes out really pretty. And I stole the shit out of a lot of those items <laughs> and used those in in campaigns galore, um, and even some that Robbie and Thorne have no idea about yet. <laughs> oh, we'll find out. Oh yes. Oh yes, we will. Yeah. Um, hey, Robbie. What, what's your favorite homebrew site to use? My favorite homebrew site? I am glad you asked. Um, <laughs> I haven't been preparing this whole time to tell you. I promise. Um, <laughs> click, the, click, um, click, 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 click. <laughs> um, I really like, for starters, I really like DMs Guild. Um, I know there's a lot of like paid stuff on there, mm -hmm. but some of that stuff is really, really good, and oh, I yeah. paid for it. Like, um, it gives you, there's, there's guides for options to poisons, like if you wanted to expand poisons in your world, there's also um, chef options, like just adding more flavor to your world, um, home homebrew. So like races, classes, um, and new monsters to fight. Uh, one of the, some, if you're feeling extra feisty with how you wanna like, um, if you want to donate or like purchase anything, um, uh, right now, the Hit Point Press just released Helena's Guide to Monster Hunting. Ooh. And no, I'm not um, <laughs> I'm not being paid to advertise or anything like that. It's just I, I started reading it, and it's really, really good. Well, why and not, Robbie? Why are you not getting paid for these advertisements? Get on because it. Because I'm, I'm not. <laughs> um, Helena's Guide to Monster Hunting, it's, it's got amazing artwork. Um, the, uh, the, the artists that worked on have, like, YouTube pages our YouTube channels that, that, that have to deal with um, Dungeons and Dragons art. So it's really, really cool. And it gives you options, new new classes, new races, and options to cook monster meat and recipes to cook monster meat in your world and what they do. Um, and how to make armor out of like monster appendages and like bones and everything. It's pretty, really cool. And I am probably gonna incorporate it soon in some of my worlds. Um, Another one, if you're feeling feisty with the funds, um, there's also Deck of Many Things, which has yes. the really popular um, uh, um, oh, wow, the 
the name escaped me. The birds. <laughs> the birds. Um, uh, I always use it in my campaign. It comes out. They have bird races and everything. Um, I'll get to that. I'll get back to that in a second. But there's also Grim Hollow, which is a horror theme set, which they were just raising money for recently. And I may or may not have purchased it. You don't know my life. I mean, I know Raven. Raven loves Griffin Saddleback, and that's a homebrew for magic yeah. items. Right. And they they have some amazing things on that. Like and I deep I deep dived into that, and it was like oh, almost it was the whole bad. day. Yeah, it was bad. When she said, okay, pick two items, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. That's going to take a while. <laughs> we even, like, it was it was so bad because we were like, okay, Raven, um, are you sure? Because you didn't tell us not to get a legendary item. And she exactly. was like, And she was like, yeah, no, go for it. And I was like, you realize Thorne and I are notorious for, like, game-breaking shit, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's good. Go ahead. I was like, man, now I got like two, three days worth of research and deep diving in. Like I had to, <laughs> I picked like eight items and I was like, okay, these are the eight I want. Now I have to pick two. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did the same thing. And, and I, but I have to give Raven because Raven's a newer, newer story weaver. So she, she's working on her, uh, you know, spur of the moment thinking or quick thinking. Yeah, and yeah. she started this game with, with me and Illidine and we just random generated. Yeah. And we've just been, we're notorious and, and actually I'll read, I'll, you know, me, Illidine and, and Robbie, we're notorious for breaking games. Yeah. Because oh, we, no. are not, we are not, we are not going to do what you want us to do. That's and we true. are absolutely, Period. if you show us a railroad, first of all, railroads, uh, there's an argument that railroads shouldn't be in a fantasy campaign, but we won't get into that forest um, <laughs> from episode yeah. one. Uh, but <laughs> if you if you throw us a railroad, we are either going to bend the tracks or we are going to use the railroad for evil. There is There is no in between. You give us a sandbox to play in or we're going to fuck it up. <laughs> yeah that's true um oh um before before i forget it's called humblewood I humblewood. Use humblewood a lot it's okay. uh it gives you a variety of bird races i've always been really angry that aarakocra are supposed to only look like eagles and falcons mm -hmm. and so i have pigeons birds of paradise like all nice. this stuff so that's what i used sorry yeah that's before okay before i forget um and, 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 and of course there's all also the the sanction D, &D beyond Yes, of course. Um, and also, before I forget, um, we keep touching on Story Weaver, and we never actually explained in this episode, at least, what Story Weaver means to us. Um, and at least for me, you know, this entire episode has been about homebrew and about storytelling and role playing and and using different mechanics that aren't necessarily sanctioned, but. You know, there's there's that one itsy bitsy line called rule one of the DM's guide. And that's that you're the DM. It's it's your thing. This is this is what you want and how the world you created, how you want it to be. But the reason why I changed 
my thought process from dungeon master to story weaver was because I think that when we all sit at a table, all six or 10 of us or whoever's playing at the, at the game that night, we are all telling the story and it's just facilitated through the one guy calling himself the dungeon master, or as I like to say, the story weaver. And we are weaving each character's stories together into the main campaign or the main goal or the main story. And it's, it's very similar to, I guess, because of my thought process and background in creative writing uh, and Robbie as well, that, you know, if you were reading and or writing a book, you don't just have this one person telling the story the entire time. Yes, you have a main character, but that main character talks to thousands of different people and interacts with different monsters and cities and things. And there's got to be a cohesive line to it. And even chaos has some cohesivity to it. Um, so that's my thought process on, on why I call myself a story weaver is because I'm weaving the, the other six people at the table. They're giving me their role play and they're giving me their combat stats and their backstory and I'm weaving it into what I what I'm using as the campaign. If I was to just say, you know, like when we were talking about Raven and the Black Dragon, if I was to just say, no, your Black Dragon is evil as shit, and when it hatches, it's going to eat you, that's not fucking fun. <laughs> so that's that's my thought press. I don't know how, how what you guys think about Story Weaver. Oh, I agree completely. I, I come from. Yes, I, I have a, a huge background in D&D, but I, I like to run World of Darkness. I've played countless other, you know, tabletop RPGs from mm-hmm. Shadowrun to Marvel. Uh, dark stories to just, you know, having fun. Yeah. But in World of Darkness, they, they don't call you a game master. They call you a storyteller. And to me... And after so long, I'm the RP is everything. Yeah. Like the the combat, that's secondary. It happens fine. I want to see people talk. I want to see them interact. I want to see how they're gonna they're gonna react to the the bends and the and the twists and the stories I give them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think of when I when I think a story weaver is is just the ability to to weave this fantastic and a fantasy world mm-hmm. into being and and see how people react with it because right. like i've always said drama drama makes great rp so i just want to inject drama into the world that I've created and see what people do with it. Yeah. Because I mean, there, there was a thing that happened a couple weeks ago with, with the war of arts campaign that just took me completely off guard. And everybody was actually able to talk themselves out of a huge combat situation. <laughs> and it, it surprised me so much. I mean, I've rewarded extra experience points because it was just so unique. Yeah. And it was great. And I mean, even last session, um, we were all, you know, it was a dream sequence and we were all supposed to die. And somehow I managed to Jenga myself out of that. <laughs> Literally. 
<laughs> Shameless plug. If anybody ever gets a chance to play the game Dread, play it. It's amazing. It is amazing. It is. And the the guidebook is um is free to download online for Dread. Yeah, that's the awesome. Official. Yeah, he's been around for a long time too. So yeah. Uh, but, well. So, I was going to say, what, as, as, in closing, what is everybody's favorite homebrew that they've played or had in their campaign? Robbie? Ah. Um, my favorite homebrew to have in my campaign has had to be the. Um, hmm. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um. Actually, it's got to be the uh, the Beholder Gods, honestly. Like, I'm really proud of the Beholder Gods. I It was a very... Um, it was a concept that had been sticking with me for a while when you think about Beholders. Um, it's all, all the godlike power and all the megalomania of Beholders. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was very happy about it. So Okay. Uh, mine is, I mean, shameless plug is my current campaign uh, from arc one to arc two and, and beyond um, the players themselves or the characters rather haven't figured it out completely. There's been a couple of times where I thought for sure there was going to be a role to see if they could get it, um, but it hasn't happened yet. But the entire premise of my campaign is that everything is connected. So even though the campaign uh, arc one, arc one was called the God war and arc two is technically horde of the dragon uh, or horde of the dragon queen. The entire campaign is called the Rom- uh, the roaming shores. And so each continent and each plane are essentially islands in this grander galaxy esque ocean. And so Sometimes when the players ask, okay, well, how far is the Dragon Isle from the continent of Alara? Uh, well, it's two months away uh, if you were going to take a, a sailboat. And then three or four sessions later, they ask, well, how far was it again? Uh, and I, I just said three days. And they're like, oh, three days is not that bad. But because there were so many sessions in between, they didn't really notice. And... Uh, I think that uh, Forrest from episode one, he kind of gave me a look and was like, didn't you? And I was like, yes. And he didn't, he just didn't ask, just didn't just decided not to do a dice roll. He called me out on it and then just left it alone. So (laughs) I left it alone too. So that's my favorite uh, homebrew right now is just that, that concept. It's been really fun to, to play with and, because I, I, it, it sounds bad, but I get to play with myself sometimes because I, as I'm writing new things in the arcs and, and uh, homebrewing other things, and I've got this continent that the players haven't gotten to yet um, that I'm writing, and I'm potentially going to write an entire, um, I, don't, I haven't decided if I want to write a, a story, like a book about it or a short story, or if I want to do a campaign setting-esque thing like horde of the dragon queen has like a module book i'm thinking about doing a module book of that that continent but whenever i write these things every time i roll a dice um and i see how far these continents are that week for that session so that way when if they ever ask to travel i i already have the dice rolled i don't have to to show it to the party (laughs) so it's my little secret 
I I mean, I have noticed that I just playing my characters don't ask. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that's a great setting for the book we want to write, though. Uh, mine, to be honest, I mean, as much as I love Tobin, and that is, I mean, I know there is a Kender race, but I basically homebrewed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick and Tara. Oh, man. Rick and Tara has been so much fun. Just the amount of backstory and the amount of things that we went through and how we kept it from everybody, their whole story. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't know what was going on. We came in and one of them was an eagle and the other was, was an Andreessen. And then the other one, next thing you know, you got this other Andreessen walking out in a wolf. I mean, just the way it, it worked out was so much fun. Yeah. And, and, and the amount of times you... Yeah, and the amount of times you had to do deception rolls behind the scenes, because I, as as the story weaver, I didn't want to say, you know, anytime the characters asked, "Oh, hey, where's uh, where's Rick?" and you know, obviously Tara was uh, was the one during the uh, during the day to talk, um, and she would say, or during the night, sorry, um, and so Tara would say, "Oh, Rick went off hunting. Uh, he'll be back later." He had uh, Thorn had to word it so specifically to where I didn't have to say a deception roll out loud. And anytime that he did, you know, dis, uh, deceive one of the characters, I would just look at him and he'd go, yep. And then he would roll quietly and let me know the number. And I would look at passive insights and things like that to, to keep the story hidden until finally, I think it was Milo that was like, Hey, <laughs> and, finally, yeah, and finally called you out on it. <laughs> It was just, it was really, uh, uh, I just thought it was fun and interesting and just the continued deception. And it wasn't just a session or two. It was like months. Yeah. Months in real time. Yeah. In session, it was, it was even longer, I think. But uh, I mean, months in real life that we, we kept it going for so long. Um, And then of course, after they figured it out, they, obviously wanted to help and and get the curse removed and that was months in real life all on its own yeah and it it was just i thought it was a fun a fun thing to do it was it was unique it was probably one of the most unique things i ever did yeah and so it really was and so listeners uh the the big takeaway for for homebrew i think uh i could speak for all three of us is steal everything twist everything and just have fun with it. I think that's the, exactly. I think that's the big takeaway. Yeah, that's the takeaway. <laughs> Steal everything. And, yeah. and there, there, honestly, there could be another episode about this. This Easy. is such a broad subject that there's so much more that we haven't touched on. And if you have questions, just email, uh, and, and, uh, Illity, uh, if you don't mind, give an email address that they yeah. can email questions to. Uh, please ask. You know, any questions you have, we will answer you. Um, and it'll probably be pretty quick because I don't think anybody's ever emailed us before. Nope, not yet. Um, and I actually might make, I might just make a, a Gmail specifically for the podcast. Uh, but currently, my email address um, is uh, on the Podbean website. Uh, 
and if you go to this dungeon is occupied uh, on Podbean, or um, I could now say on Spotify and uh, Google Podcasts. Now I got the email. We're live on those as well. Um, my email address is there. It's rather long because uh, it's Captain Illidine's email, uh, but it's C-A-P-T for Captain dot Illidine dot Lirinder at gmail.com. Um, so if you want to email us those questions, uh, I'd be more than happy to uh, converse with you. Um, we may even, if we like the ideas, we may even have you on a Zoom call and, and do an episode uh, with you. Um, and uh, on that note, um, if you guys do like our content, please like, share the, the, the content. Um, the, more, the more likes, the more follows, and the, the, the more sharing that we get, uh, the more audience we can uh, reach and help out in their campaigns. Um, if you guys are players listening in and you guys know that your DM is looking for new ideas, man, shoot us, shoot the, the podcast over to them and just let them, let them listen to it. Um, we, I mean, our undying gratitude, uh, just for a simple like on the website. Um, and if you feel the urge to, uh, financially support us, uh, we do officially have a Patreon, uh, that you can go to, uh, Patreon and search this dungeon is occupied um, and you can find our uh, our information there. Uh, the links are also on our sponsors list. Um, the Captain of Ravens Emporium is our, our business sponsor. Um, it is on their website at candremporium.com uh, You can scroll through and see all of their services and handmade goods and things and uh, there's a, a, a page dedicated to our podcast and you can scroll down, see all the, the links to the episodes and you can see the links to the Facebook page and the Patreon. Uh, the, the Facebook page is new. Uh, so if you guys want to contact us via Facebook, we are now on Facebook as well at This Dungeon is Occupied. <laughs> um, so with that, uh, guys, we're going to, going to end the the podcast. We really do appreciate it. And Robbie, thank you for coming on and chatting with us again. Of course. My pleasure. I'm really happy to have been here. Till next time, everybody. Till next time. Remember to keep checking those dungeons because this dungeon is occupied. <laughs>